How are you doing, my brother? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, welcome, guys. Welcome back to Man Talk Season Six, Episode Three. Uh, we're now full steam ahead. We're now coming up to the middle part of the season. We hope you've enjoyed the episode so far. We know the last one was slightly heavy. Um, a lot of facts, a lot of data, but we thought it was important. Um, keep your feedback coming as to how you like that kind of episode versus more light-hearted discussions. Um, we're trying to find a balance here, and it we it we come from, it comes from you how we film these episodes. Um, Oscar, welcome back. Another episode looking looking good. How are you doing? Um, should we address it? Should we talk about it? That's standard. Yes, did you talk about yeah, the hat? Yeah, of course, yeah, talk yeah. about the yeah, cap. Yeah, yeah. No cap. No, mm, no cap. cap. No cap. No cap. You know no what cap. I mean? Uh huh. I, no like, I, I like no it. Cap. You've matched the grey, no the grey, and the grey. No so, yeah, yeah, you know, we were, we were going for a bit of a look, you know. You, you always, like, set the bar when it comes to fashion. So I decided, let me break yeah. out something. Let me break out a little something. Uh-huh, something. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, like, the idea is the idea is to have, basically, different hearts and different, like, match concepts. And then you guys in the, in the comments can let us know what you want and what you like. And then we can now produce them on scale. Perfect. So let us know what you like in the comments section. Let us know what you want, what type of merchandise you're interested in. And then Eli and I will try our best to like give you quality, quality yeah. products. We're just in the like trial one. stages. Just, this is, is just nice. trial like stages. It. We're just trying some things out. And obviously everyone in the Project Arasa has a few quotes I know they'll like. Yeah. So yeah, looking forward to that stage. Um, Oscar, yeah. today's yeah. convo has been, a, it's been a long time coming. Uh, it kind of relates to the last episode, talking about you know different places in the world, etc., but um, for everyone that can see on the title, yeah. today we are talking about diaspora, uh, the perceptions from both ends, and just diving into that topic, because I think it's something that people don't really talk about a lot in depth, you know, um, and we feel like we're, we're well-placed to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The idea, the idea um, of the diaspora experience is something that as Kenyans um, and as East Africans, um, I feel like has been romanticized a lot, but we have to also acknowledge the fact that Kenyans in diaspora and other East Africans are contributing a lot to um, the growth of the Kenyan economy. Um, Just to introduce the problem, um, around 2015, um, income from remittances from people in diaspora Mm -hmm. exceeded um, T as the highest foreign exchange earner in Kenya. So that's a big start, um, meaning that um, Kenyans in diaspora are now contributing significantly to our economy and we and we have to recognize them wherever they are and they're also a huge part of the Manto community now. We're seeing a lot of um, views coming in from, from Kenyans in diaspora. So we're going and shout out to everyone who's supporting us from UK, Canada, Australia, um, the US. Um, all of you Kenyans, we love you guys. Um, continue to share and support with Manto. Like, share, subscribe. Like you, do, you, do you know what I've realized? You're becoming like a pro. Subscribe. You're becoming a pro at this YouTube stuff. This like comment subscribe thing. You, you're beca- yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, yeah. I like. Yeah, yeah. You, I'm, you, sta- you, I'm starting becoming, to get it. Yeah, I'm starting I like to. it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um. Yeah. No. What you said is definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, share subscribe. Yeah. Like share subscribe. Yeah. 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 LSS. LSS. Like share subscribe. Um. Yeah. So um. <laughs> LSS. LSS. Yeah. I I like that you talked about that the um using the word remind romanticizing. Of, of the diaspora, because um, I think that's the first place we can start. Because I think when we talk about the problem, we can talk, you've mentioned the financial yep. aspect, that obviously, yes, uh, mostly the intention when people do leave for diaspora or to go abroad um, and become expats is that they want to now send money back just because of the way uh, economies work, right? Um, but aside f- with that being the intention a lot of the time, 
aside from that, you find that when somebody does leave, there's also a social aspect that people don't really talk about, especially um, I can definitely say from my parents' generation, it's money driven. So you go there thinking about money and you're not thinking about, you know, different culture, different this, because you're just thinking tunnel vision, I'm going to make money and send back. And um, so when you leave, I'm assuming the perception of everyone you've left is that they're now got, they've now gone to make money. So immediately, immediately there's yeah. an association of they now, there's now going to be a lot of revenue coming from that individual. Um, so I'd be curious to know, yeah. Oscar, just from, um, from the Kenyan side of things, the first, because then I can sort of uh, um, inform as to how accurate that is, the first impressions that you find um, maybe yourself and fellow Kenyans have when they first like, meet a diaspora person that sort of come back home. What's like the first impressions of that kind of individual? Eli, I think you, you serve as a very good example of how Kenyans react to a Kenyan who's from abroad. Because you'll find that most of the time when I'm around you interacting with other Kenyans, um, they treat you as if you're not quite Kenyan. You get what mm -hmm. I mean? Like you'll notice mm -hmm. that there's that identity, like it's like the Kenyan who comes from London is kind of put a bit on a pedestal rather than the local Kenyan themselves, mm -hmm. which I find rather odd. Um, but of course, there are a number of the question now I start to ask myself is what does a Kenyan from abroad represent um, to fellow Kenyans? Why is it that Kenyans themselves find feel inferior compared to a Kenyan who's gone abroad and has had that experience? So the question is, if I wa if I went to London, would a Kenyan from London give me the same treatment <laughs> that you receive when you come here? So I find that like how people react to you. Um, when I'm around you um, is how I've kind of reached my conclusion that there's a bit of a, an inferiority complex around Kenyans who are from diaspora. So the question now becomes, why do Kenyans perceive Kenyans who are in diaspora as superior to them? What exactly are the factors that contribute to that? And for me, one is, I think there's a perceived notion that Kenyans who are abroad are living a higher quality of life um, than Kenyans here um, because of income. Um, so you will tell me how true that is. Um, the second thing is the level of education is higher and the level of skill and expertise is higher um, than most Kenyans here. Um, you will also, I think you can also speak to that, though I know that the education, the education systems here in Kenya have really tried their best to bridge the gap. And then there's also the strength of the institutions that Kenyans perceive that abroad, um, the institutions there are stronger. Um, so they don't have that much access to services. So they perceive you as a Kenyan who has studied and lived abroad as having all these things put together in you as a person. Mm -hmm. I think that's how I'd answer that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've met, I, what yeah. Do you think? What do you think? You've mentioned a few things uh, that definitely I can attest to. Um, and the, I have a massive... So you've mentioned the... Because here's the thing, what, if I'm just going to be very frank, so when I, when I sort of came back to, to Kenya and I didn't really know anyone and the reason that even something sort of worked out for me is because of that complex that you've talked about. And if I'm very honest, it's something that really frustrates me because it speaks to a larger problem of a, the colonisation that's still in a lot of people's minds. Because the fact that somebody from that sort of country uh. you've put on a pedestal, it just means that you associate that country on such a high level that any product from that is already on a pedestal. 
So you might be doing something even better in Kenya, but when someone comes from abroad, you're immediately thinking that they're better just because there's that preconceived notion that's be- dated back all the way back there. Which is why for me, mm-hmm. when somebody compliments my accent, I get angry. Like, I don't like the whole, oh, you're British. It, it really annoys me. It really frustrates me because it's like, okay, where's that value system come from? You've initially thought that you're, you're, the way you speak because you're from a certain place is, is somehow better than the other person. Whereby, But then sometimes you find that the vocabulary of somebody in Kenya might even be higher. So the same language that, you're, that people um, sometimes like adore, you've actually got even, maybe even better, better language than that person, but it's just the way that they're speaking, right? I remember I was speaking to one girl... Uh, yeah, because yeah. surely language is about vocabulary, not about accent. Because accent is just um, there's um, yeah, accent is just perspective, isn't it? It's just how the PR of that, of that nation has yeah. done something. Um, so I remember there was there was this one girl, uh, and she was talking about how she wants the most beautiful girl, right? Beautiful girl. I think she's even in modeling, that sort of thing. And I was talking to her about like uh, the perceptions of this and how she was like, my sister's married. Like a white guy, you know, he came from Britain, this, 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 and this. And then I was telling her about there's, I basically said, you know, not everybody that comes from there, even if they're white or black, is well off, right? Like, that's just not, it's not just a fact of life. Um, and then she was like, yeah, but he was like white, he was like big. So, you know, obviously the association with her was like, if you're big and white, you have money because you eat well outside. That was where it ended. And I was like, what? Sorry? Yeah. I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I had that yes. type. So because he was larger, so obviously big you're affluent. Big, when you say big, what do you mean? You're affluent because you're large and you come, now come from there. And I was saying to her... Wait, large, large in terms body. of body. Like yeah. He has a, he has body. a tummy. Yeah, yeah. because what? that you associate that with okay. affluence. So <laughs> I was baffled. I was like, this is really a... Cop- this is, and, and I was thinking if that's the... Huh? But, okay. but, but the... Uh, yeah. yeah, but that's an, African, that's an African standard of wealth. Even here in Africa, we say... Uh, young boys have apartments, which is uh, six parks and all that. But uh, men in Africa, we have mm-hmm. uh, mansions. We carry around mansions. Mm. Uh, our stomachs are full. Which is, da- which is a, da- yeah. <laughs> which is a, a dangerous is notion. A because surely yeah, affluence means no. access. <laughs> yeah, of, no, yeah, I mean, even in the... In the yeah. So I said to her, it's, I was like, yeah, you know, most yeah, yeah. large You're people... Right. But I can see where it yeah. came from. I said to her, I was like, you know, most large people from the UK are yeah. probably less well off because they haven't had access to healthier foods. And where they've lived means that they've been eating junk food and maybe their education on nutrition is not higher. <laughs> yeah. So the person you're celebrating might even be from a lower... So the, the, yeah. the, the quote-unquote people doing well are probably going to be slimmer, more in shape, more attuned to a healthy lifestyle. That's a whole other topic. But um, yeah, yeah, have, yeah, it speaks to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I feel like you're, you're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're, yeah. you're right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's right. just a, a prime example. Yeah, you're right. The science is there, but like... I understand the ra- the reasoning. Yeah, yeah. I understand the reasoning, Eli. The reasoning, her reasoning is uh, very traditional, but I understand yeah. it. That's all I'm trying exactly. to say. It's not correct, but I understand yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. um. So that, that was just a perfect example. So uh-huh. yeah, when I hear somebody say, but what I have seen as well is I can't blame, um, I can't blame people back home too much because I've also, hanged around with some people from diaspora who have really lent into that. And as a result of that, like their attitude to people, they have that superiority complex. And for me, I've seen it manifest itself. And it's, it's, exactly. it's can be frankly disgusting at points because they, they're playing into that. Oh, I'm from here. But then when yeah. I'm talking to them now as a fellow diaspora and I'm talking about what they do as their job and stuff, I'm like, I know how much money you make. So the fact you've come with that superiority complex doesn't match because 
you're talking to some people that are actually probably more intelligent and more educated and more well-off than yeah. you, but you immediately think dollar or pound, <laughs> even if you're working a, a, a different yeah. kind of job, is superior. So I've seen where that yeah. narrative can come from yeah. at the same time. You know, you know the, thing, the thing that I find quite crazy, especially when, because I am as African as African can get, um, uh, when you meet people who have, let's say, who are from the diaspora and they have made the assumption that whatever you are saying does not necessarily have the same level of, you know, um, mm -hmm. research or level of knowledge or information. Yeah, the level of gravity um, that, you know, you'd rather have when an African speaks mm -hmm. to you. So the, the unfortunate thing is uh, when you come at an African with that perspe um, perspective, Africans, we tend to be very, like, we don't pick the fights. Mm. We don't pick fights that are unnecessary. Yeah. Um, and I remember there was one time I had an, yeah, very we don't pick unnecessary yeah. fights. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, we are very, because like you can tell, like, you know, you're wallowing in your own mm. madness. So why should I join you in that madness? Fighting. African proverb, fighting with a, don't fight with a madman, lest he gets his dirt onto you. So that's something that Africans understand very well. So we are very, we are very good at looking at, at someone who's like clearly delusional and leaving them in their own delusion. <laughs> so, you know, we'll just like look at you. And I'm sure you can say this because of, there was a story you gave me about your dad um, and him calling the gas man. Uh, for the house, um, and the guy was uh, a middle-class British citizen calling your father, who is as African as it can get, um, and hearing his accent and assuming that this is somebody who, you know, you can just, you know, go over and not take seriously, and how wrong that entire concept <laughs> was, you know, and your dad probably didn't do anything about it, like, just learned, like, like, you're mad to even think that way. So for me as an African, I can say that Africans right now are in the middle of a renaissance in terms of their own knowledge, their own information, and their own culture. And this is why maybe Africans abroad are able to relate to our content because they're able to see that for once, Africans are not being portrayed as um, poverty, you know, like the whole poverty narrative around Africans, that's not going to happen here at Mantok.ke. Here at Mantok.ke, we are capable young men, um, and everyone on set, including Beryl and Big Boy Eric, are very capable. They look, they look mad, mad good. Like, they look mad, mad good. In fact, Beryl today looks especially good. It's a shame <laughs> you can't see on camera. We are, protect, we are protecting her from you um, backward. Uh, white <laughs> Backward people thinking that Africa is still chasing lions or some uh. nonsense. So yeah, for us as Africans, we are very good at leaving you in your own delusion. That's the point I'm trying to get at. So we won't, we won't try and argue with you if you sit down and think that an African opinion is an inferior opinion. Because the internet has made it very clear that everyone in the world is trying to figure it out. That nobody necessarily has a plan. And all of us are just looking towards um, God, if you believe in one, and... Uh, and, and like, you know, our own progression to be able to give ourselves the lives that we want. Mm. So that's my, my perspective on people who think Africans are inferior. You're mad. Like, you can't, no can't be further from the truth. Can't be further from the truth. Yeah, honestly. you're mad. You're like mad. What if, what, you've spoken yeah. to the, um, the point of everyone's just trying to figure it out, right? And I mentioned at the beginning that, you know, in the 90s when first generation went abroad, they were probably the people that were trying to figure it out and their option for figuring it out was 
leaving and finding uh, sort of greener pastures, even though that's, again, a, an issue. But um, so I want us to talk about the reality yeah. of those greener pastures sometimes that maybe conversations people don't get to have with some okay. that's been there. Because like I said, some people lean into that and they'll never tell people what the reality is on the ground. Well, that's what the, the saying our generation always says, cow are groundly different or something. Say it? Kwa ground between the different. So in Kiswahili it means on the ground. Yeah, kwa ground between the different. Yeah. So in, in London, kwa ground between the different. In London, on the yeah. ground, <laughs> things are different. It's so true. Um, so I yeah. think what happens is, you know, the, 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 the notion that the streets are paved with gold, because I've even spoken to my mum and she was like, when I, because my mum was what, 20, 26, 7 when she left? Uh, when she was going to London, and she was ex- ex- explain, yeah. expecting when she gets there, it's Kensington everywhere. That was the perception of a, of a, of a young 20-year-old lady yeah. going to England. You know, it's going to be Kensington, yeah. Chelsea, da-da-da. So people don't, re- don't recognise the entry point when you're going somewhere else, when you're, when you're moving abroad, right? Unless you're ex- There's obviously exceptions when you're extremely affluent and you enter at that level of society. But for most people that go abroad, they've, cal- they've seen the job online... They've calculated that this is how much you can make. But you don't know the living expenses truly until you're there. And especially in the 90s, it's very hard to know how much yeah. groceries cost, your gas, all these little small things, even what's a good postcode, what's a good area and the system. So you find that you enter at a level that is lower than what you were back home. And then there's a shock. Woo! There's a shock. You land there and you're like, wait a minute. Jesus. I was living in uh, an eight bedroom house with an eschew, with a, with, a, with, a, with a house manager, house help. My life was very nice. And then I thought, because I'm at this yes. level, let me now go and explore the Western world. But you enter the Western world down here. You enter down here, not even because of your skill set or anything, just because as a... I have a problem with the terminology expat versus immigrant because it's the same thing, so I'm going to keep saying expat. As an, as an expat... Um, entering, entering that sort of country, you're already at a disadvantage. And I always say, life is hard already. Why would you add another stress? So you find you'll enter there and you're not able to um, maybe even get an equal job. I've see, definitely seen with some people, you can't get the equal job that you had over there because you're already looked down on. And we're going to get yeah. into the whole education conversation in, in a moment. You're already, you enter there, then you realise your living expenses versus your salary is high. You don't understand the way this works so you, you you're at constant disadvantages and then now you've got the added stress of probably pressure from people back home saying well you've left now so come on where's the where's the cash send us where's money ca- send yeah. us money and then you yeah. can't say to them <laughs> and you can't say ah, to them yo i'm living in this postcode you remember when we had that conversation in social house or yeah. other restaurants are available yeah um <laughs> remember when we had that <laughs> when we had that conversation about um healthcare and different postcodes I remember we had that conversation, right? Yeah. So you don't realize yeah. when you're moving there, you yeah. look at the rent yeah. and you think it's it's this is um this is cheap. I can afford this, but you don't realize the kind of environment you'll even bring your kids up in. That's why you find a lot of first generation they're not in very nice areas, and that kind of now starts to inform their lifestyle. So you have all of these factors that you didn't know, and you get there, and now you're on a trajectory of trying to come out of that because you didn't realize where you sort of entered in. So a lot of people are struggling, and the jobs that you have to work are although maybe the pay looks good they're sometimes very demeaning jobs you'll find that for instance when i used to before i retired when i used to go out to like nightclubs and things like that you'll find that 
when you go to the bathroom, it's always an African guy that gives you this now the spray to sort of make you feel better. And I used to always make a point of talking to them, right? These are guys now working in a toilet. I'll talk to them. A lot of them are like, yeah, I've got a master's. I've got a PhD. I've got this. Every single one of them had at least a master's. So can you imagine when someone left with a master's, what they think they're going to do when they go to England? And now when they're reporting back, you can't say you're working in the toilet. Do you see what I mean? So a lot of these, these yeah. guys, they've got such added stress and such pressures. And then now when they come back home, you're supposed to be like homecoming king. But it's, it's tough the for a lot of people. It's only a very few. Um, yeah. Personally, I've been, uh, like, I've been very fortunate just because it, life happens that way with my dad and his education. But for a lot of people that are very same skill set, it doesn't happen sometimes. And I've seen that across the board. Like people are really yeah. struggling. And um, that's why I want them not to be as celebrated when they come home because that's in a- another added pressure, you know? Mm. And it, yeah, mm. yeah. There's, there's something I also noticed when, uh, during my limited time in, in London, um, I noticed that um, being minorities, there's a lot of gatekeeping by the white majority. Mm. So basically, you can be having the same level of education. You can both attend, let's say, a top-tier university. You are in the same class. You probably have better mm-hmm. grades. But when it comes to the job market, this person already knew the opportunities that they had. Exactly. Vis-a-vis yeah, you, who has to literally start from the bottom and create the whole social network so that you can be able to like elevate your generation to the top. Like you see, you, Eli, are now a second generation um, immigrant. And that means that there's a lot of the stresses Mm. that your parents already, yeah, second generation expect. We'll never say immigrant. what you like. In fact, here in Kenya, Mm. yeah, here here in Kenya, here in Kenya, um, here in Kenya, expatriates are treated like royalty. They are paid a hardship allowance because apparently it is so hard to enjoy the fresh meat that has no genetically modified products <laughs> or the fresh produce from our motherland that is, has no genetic modification. It's very it's, it's tough a, it's a hard life. to enjoy the fresh bananas. Mm. It's a hard mm. life, you know, drinking fresh water that's not necessarily as processed, yeah. where we have a higher life expectancy because of how Precisely. healthy we are as Africa. Preach. It's very Preach tough. Yeah, they are paid a hardship allowance because, you know, our weather does not have winter. <laughs> So we constantly have the sun. It's really tough, yeah. you know. Um, so they are paid expatriates who come from other mm. countries to work in Kenya are paid literally mm. hardship allowances. Um, so they are financially incentivized to live there. They are very, 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 very easy winters <laughs> where they literally have to air condition their homes and houses uh, <laughs> and heat their homes and yeah. houses. And where there's a whole gas industry mm. for that specific mm. thing that does not exist here because we have the we live on the fridge. Um, yeah. But anyway, it's tough. It's it's tough. It's tough being living in Africa when you're wealthy. It's mm. it's really hard. Um, so and you don't get the same. So it's these expatriates now when you go over there. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. And when you go over there, no, no, yeah. no, no. You you go to the lowest of the mm. low neighborhoods. Mm. That's where you're expected to start. Mm. And the children who these people who have generations of connections, generations of um, knowledge and information as to how the economy has been running. Um, create basically a working class that consists largely of immigrants so that they can live in the comfort of their homes. And then they tell you everything is going to be all right. So from me, where me, I'm sitting um, as an African, it's not that I, uh, I do think that there are certain merits, for example, education and the skill level that you can bring back to um, Kenya and just grow it. 
Um, the biggest advantage is that as a country, Kenya is just uh, over 40, some 40 years old. So we achieved independence in 1964. So that means that we are about um, 50 something, 55, I think, 55, 54 years old, which means that we are only commencing our journey as a state, whereas these states have been these larger democracies such as the US, UK have been in existence for a very, very protracted amount of time. Mm -hmm. So that means that as Africans, we can accelerate our development using the information and skill that they give us. And I do agree that system, when it comes to systems, um, we are still trying to create institutions that are dependable and strong. And we're still learning that. So that, that learning curve might be perceived as ah, inefficient, terrible. But ask yourself, where were these countries 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. Mm. Mm. Where were they, really? In fact, those 100 years ago, 200 years, 300 years ago, there was still mm. slavery. Ask yourself, how, many Africa, how much has the African economy been disenfranchised by slavery if we compound it? We're going to go there. Let's go there. Yeah. Ask yourself, yeah. really? Yeah. 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 Let's ask. Let's, let's, since we are going to talk about mm. um, the diaspora, mm. let's ask ourselves, mm. really, these people who are treating Africans disproportionately, mm -hmm. If Africa re retained its, and I'm sure there's a report somewhere, it's just that we haven't yeah. done the research. If Africa retained its level of skill yeah. and the people that were taken there through the West Atlantic slave mm. trade, um, through the slave trades that were there, um, perpetrated on East Africans mm -hmm. that are rarely ever reported, but we did have slavery in East Africa yeah. as well. And yeah, don't yeah, assume yeah, that because it wasn't reported, it wasn't yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, there was slave trade throughout Africa. If we had those talents, if we had those, those Africans right now, in Africa, how productive mm. and how many mm. inventions, mm. Uh, yeah, how many inventions are sitting in different patent offices across the world that were made by exactly. Africans, so that the world can look at mm. us. Yeah. Also, mm. ripple effect. Don't even me, even the ripple effect. Yeah. We're talking if we're going to go to that place. All of that, how that messed up our economy, how the slavery and things happened, the whole colonization. Now, if we're thinking about the ripple effect to now how trade deals and and global economics and politics played a part of how we are where we are now, then we're talking about a, a whole yeah. feedback loop here because the situation we're in, our in, we're in now is yeah. not a result of our own doing anyway. Do you see what I mean? So that's another thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's a whole other yeah. topic. I don't, if I go and, there, and see, my vein will start. Thing, I don't, yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole vein, other, get, yeah, that's a whole yeah. other, that's a whole other, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other topic yeah. that if we decide as Africans to start interrogating, mm. because young Africans now, with the internet and with knowledge, we are starting to ask ourselves, mm. ah, so the entire narrative surrounding, um, you know, that the whole world is more superior than you in many ways, that we were particularly force-fed. Like, if you look at what we are taught in history, um, in our classrooms, we are taught about British colonization, um, we are taught about the migration systems in Africa. We know our history. We have our grandparents who are here to give us that history. We also know the history that existed, that we had a culture before mm -hmm. the the white man came. We know it. Now, too bad. The, the game is up. The jig is up. Africans now know who they mm. are, where they come from, what they mm. do, what they mm. want. The jig is yeah. up. It's only a matter of time before we start saying, like Ghana has done with Congo. Come on now. We start saying, eh, yeah, yeah uh, value addition will not be done uh, abroad. It will be done yeah. here. Yeah. Now, now, it's now, okay. now you're in now it's trouble. Okay. I think now, the greatest thing they yeah. did now when now, colonizing yeah. was not colonizing us physically, but more mentally. Because they made more money from the men how they mentally colonized us yeah. because of global standings later on. So I sometimes think that even the whole yeah. point of it wasn't even for immediate effect. It was delayed gratification in terms of resource for them. 
Because if we're yeah. looking at how much they've paid and even reparations and stuff now, if it was if that was a master a foresight, then whoever did that, I can't even fault them because that's fantastic um economics. If that was where they were what they were doing. Yeah, mm. yeah. Look let, let me tell you, let me tell you a country that has really, like, we should really, like, look at. I know that China gets a lot of, it really gets demonized by the press. Mm. But you have to understand that China has lifted a significant percentage of its population, never seen before in history. Mm. Um, just a few years ago, they were going through a 20-year-long famine. I want you to understand that yeah. 20 years, the entire lifespan mm. of a child to an adult is through going through famine. And they told themselves, I remember Chairman Mao um, said that we will never go through, be disgraced like that again. Chinese said we will never be disgraced like that again. And they looked at these systems that are working, America specifically. And once they started to imitate, now they are the largest economy mm -hmm. in the world. Straight yeah. up. Yeah, they are the ones who have come to Africa to build our roads, um, to do all these things. Yes, we admit that there are a few controversies as to the cost of, the, of that relationship. To an end. But the reality is, as Africans, we have mm. to... Yeah, as Africans, we have to start asking ourselves, what is the value that, you know, have we built our own table? Have we building our own table where we serve the meals on that table? Or is it that we are waiting for foreigners to come and tell us what exactly to do so that we can be able to create this table? You know, we need to build our own table. We need to retain our own skill. And those Africans who are abroad need to come back and help us put up systems that work. Mm. Mm. For, so that in because we are young countries, a lot of these countries, I think the first country in Africa to gain independence from Britain was Ghana, which is 1962, if I'm, if I'm not wrong, with Kwame Nkrumah. Mm. Now we have Kenya, um, came shortly thereafter with Jomo Kenyatta in 1964, and then we had um, Tanzania mm. in a similar fashion. In the, this is in the 60s and the 50s. That was when Africa really Africans really attained their independence. Unless South Africa just recently left the apartheid system, 1994. Yeah. That's when the apartheid system was fully and completely abolished. So only now are Africans beginning to participate in world economics and geopolitics in the way that the white man has participated in for history, in history. Yeah. And don't think for a second that, anyway, we, we digress from Africans in diaspora, <laughs> but I think it's very important to put the conversation in context. No, 100%. You know, yeah. of how... factors at play. Yeah, yeah, of how... Yeah, there are a lot of factors at play. And you have to understand that a lot of the Pan-Africanists who left their countries to go, and be, um, to go and study abroad and come back and become the first presidents of the country were essentially Africans in diaspora. Yeah. The Pan-African movement, I know for a fact, um, there was once a time when Kwame Nkrumah, Jomo Kenyatta, mm. um, I think, and other African presidents were all in London at the same time. Yeah. I can put that up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 they're all in London yeah, at the same yeah, time. Yeah. And all these men came back and became the first president. So when we talk about Africans in diaspora, there's been huge benefits for those generations that went before. Mm -hmm. But Africans now have to ask themselves, is it really worth it? Like, mm. is it really worth it? Yeah. You know, yeah. going to those systems and... 100%. Yeah. There's, there's something you've mentioned like for me really that's really key in terms of, you know, um, the first presidents going abroad, studying abroad. Um, and even just the education aspect, and we touched on that with you know, some people with high education still not being able to, um, you know, uh, attain jobs or get wealth like they could do back home, right? And I was sitting down yeah. and I was thinking about certain subjects. Okay, that when we talk about subjects like English, etc., obviously these are subjects that are very much lent towards 
the uh, like the colonized countries and Western countries, right? But if we're talking about um, if we're talking about ed- uh, education and t- topics that are like fact based, if topics are fact based, right? Yeah. And then I look at the education system and the intelligence of Africans with uh, sometimes limited resource versus the intelligence of the Western world, my peers, people my age group in an education system that, you know, kind of helps you thrive, so to speak. And I look at sometimes the results, right? And it makes me think that sometimes you'll find that the Afri- Africans are much, much more intelligent a lot of the time. And that's because I, I, when you look at something like physics, there's no way that somebody can say that being taught physics, that's fact-based, physics somewhere in america you're learning better than somewhere in africa because if it's fact but if you learn an equation you learn an equation so now my question comes but because mm, when it comes to sciences and fact based when you learn an equation you learn an equation right if you learn if you learn a, a, that's if, you a learn, tough if you're point. researching something that, the only problem you have that, is resource that's, that's, that's the only problem you have yeah. that's a yeah that's a tough one especially when you look at something like the math, global mathematics competitions. Um, and the strength of certain skills, like mathematical skill, skills are very much based on repetition and training. I can tell you that for Africans, a lot of, especially my personal experience, like I can only speak from my personal experience. I had a huge issue with mathematics um, in my formal education because mathematics was not taught in an interesting and interactive manner. When you look at how mathematics is taught in these um, international institutions, um, when I got exposed to, let's say, business math, I really enjoyed business math. I really enjoyed things like um, the value of compounding. I really enjoyed um, the economics that I read when I was exposed to um, finance and, and the, the metrics therein. I, was really, I really enjoyed it. But you see, the method of education for an African system um, now that we are discussing it, the method of education, especially in Kenya, was based on the 4K system. So the 4K system was in Kisweli's Kulima, Kusoma, Ku... There's, anyway, there's a 4K system. So basically, the 4K system, I'll remember the, I'll remember the exact thing. Um, remind me to um, tell you. But the 4K system basically focuses on um, practical skills, like practical, fast-world skills. Africans were not necessarily taught critical thinking or, you know, um, what's empirical studies. That, that, that level of education was excluded from Africans for a very long time. Only now are Africans being exposed to critical thinking, like what you and I are doing on this live, um, um, studying empirical uh, things on an empirical basis like chemistry, physics, like questioning and, and asking yourself, why does, how can I do, how can I experiment on concepts? And how can I scale those concepts? Those, those ideas were not necessarily in our African education. That has only started now, very recently. In fact, we might actually be the first generation, if not second, in this country um, to have that level of education. First, second, or third. First, second, or third. It can't be higher than that. Okay, but my Before, po- education mm-hmm. was just... Mm-hmm. I hear you, but my point yeah, is, for the even, farmer, for the even farmer, with that yeah. kind of, you're saying, maybe limited education that you're saying, you still find that when you go abroad, when you go to, for instance, London to, a, uh, to go to hospital or you go to, you're going to find a doctor, you'll find that a lot of them are yeah, yeah, yeah. expats that have come from Africa or yeah. come from these other countries. So with that base level of yeah, education, yeah. they're still managing yeah, yeah. 
to compete with people that have had the these kind of more favorable favorable educations yeah. right yeah yeah so oh, okay. so yeah. i think it kind of yeah so i'm saying like even though that baseline maybe not be celebrated or not, not be seen as efficient even with that we're still excelling yeah do you see what i mean so we're still managing yeah. to excel so then I yeah you. so then it kind of for me it begs the question that you know now when you go to yeah. london or you go to america to get a, a degree and then now it's internationally recognized Surely that's now speaking to the whole, yeah. like, geopolitical systems that are celebrating certain countries' educational institutions more than Africans. Because here's the thing, when I was, re- I was watching this thing yeah. about, like, Ivy League schools in America, and when you're looking at the history of, yeah. his system of how they become Ivy League, it's just because of a community that decided it's Ivy League, and I want them to go there. So it was all based on postcode. Yeah. So there was no factual basis of this being a more intelligent area for people to get educated. So when, and it's the same thing in England, you see in some postcodes, somebody decides to put their house at a higher price, just sell it there. And the, ha- the price of that whole road just changes over a period of time. So it's, it's with the, the community setting a, yeah. a, a president and a value on their system. So their education system. So if I'm saying like, if you find an African not celebrating their, um, their universities, their institutions, then now on a geopolitical standpoint, everyone else isn't going to celebrate if you don't celebrate yourself. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I, I, hear, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going, yeah. keep going. You're on a roll, keep going. No, You're on a roll. Yeah, <laughs> no but that's yeah, just yeah, what... That's, right. So my keep thing going. is like, a lot keep of the going. time, education is like a lot to do with perspective. Because you'll find that now all these rich people uh, in Africa will now send their kids like maybe to uh, like abroad to now study. And you're going to find that those brilliant minds are leaving the country. You're finding yourself in another brain drain, right? Because um, a lot of them don't come back because they see, oh, let me go live where it's already, and they, it's already like established, developed. They don't want to come now sort of come back. Um, perfect example of this, is, eh, kind of, is um, basically the reason my dad sort of left is now by the, inst- the, the, the systems and the, and the institutions failing back down to corruption, which is a whole other thing we need to sort out. But, like, the reason I ended up in England is because uh, when my father was working on a, a project to do with one of the Kenya's first cars, there was so much corruption in that process. They were working hard, and then you're finding that parts aren't arriving. Uh, computer laptops that were meant for now the research and development department never arrived because somebody stole. And then a lot of them got so frustrated. These are now brilliant engineers. They got so frustrated, they leave, and then my dad ends up working for Land Rover for like 30 years. Somebody else ends up working for someone else for like 30 years in different countries. So dad goes to Germany, his friends go to here, and now when they're sort of talking later, what did you do in life? It's like, oh, I've been in Japan for this amount of time, I've been here for this amount of time. And so you find that those brilliant brilliant minds have now gone to assist other economies and other development, where they now celebrate their automotive industry, whereas if they were here in Kenya... Maybe they'll be able to compete at the same level. I remember he took me on a tour of the factory and he was saying that this car was developed the same time as, I think, is it Skoda or something like that? Like another um, Eastern car. And now he's like, look how far they've come because they managed to keep everything in-house, keep uh, their in- industry going. Where, and they were probably assisted by people that left from these kind of countries. Do you see what I mean? So I think there's a yeah. lot that to speak to when it comes to education, intelligence and the perception of intelligence and where that's attained on a global scale because now you'll find yeah you're losing your your brilliant minds you know? yeah 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 you're, you're very right mm. you're very right that's a very good point mm. 
Um, just to cap it off, um, my favorite, one of my favorite authors, I will continue to quote him until the day he hollers at us. <laughs> Um, Galloway, Scott Galloway yeah. in yeah. in post corona, yeah, 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 yep, yeah. that guy yeah. <laughs> might end up in Stan School of Business one day. Shake his hand, you know. Um, so Scott Scott Galloway in post corona talks about education and how the world now has become aware that essentially Ivy League education has become like a luxury brand, like the Hermes of education yes. or the Louis yes. Vuitton of education, where. Well, functionally, it might not necessarily um, be as revolutionary as all of us are led to thinking. Um, and they are making a lot of money off of the brand perception. Branding. Sounds like, sounds, like a, yeah, sounds like a luxury brand, right? So just good branding. Um, I do admit that, yes, there are a number of skilled lecturers, but look at how much lecturers make. One skilled lecturer can service let's say 100 students in one lecture, especially when it's done online, how much is each student paying for that specific lecture per semester? How much is the university making from that specific lecture per semester? What, so basically students are, are chaining themselves to debt <laughs> to an institution that is meant to empower them financially. And you see for us as Africans, because we are already, we are already like under the heel of the geopolitical situation, that that loss is compounded and that's something mm. that I've, you know you can only realize if you're an african trying to let's say sell a global product or you're trying to export something you'll find that the checks that you have to go through and the cost to which you must reach in order to sell products in order to show your education basically the value of your education is compounded tremendously by the fact that there are already so many regulatory checks before you as an african um, can be able to create um, an export. Um, me and Eli, me and you right now, are able to have a global reach because YouTube doesn't necessarily have checks mm -hmm. um, as to, it doesn't necessarily have those crazy regulatory checks. So what we're doing right now on Mantok.ke is an exportable product that can be enjoyed globally without the, those regulatory checks. However, when you look at the cost per view, Basically, the, how much we make per view as, let's say, this is now a YouTube channel, as a YouTube channel. The waiting for an African country is much less than the waiting for an, Afri for an American country. Wagwan. Again, again, we are going back to the same issue where they'll say, yeah, you know, the view. Are you trying to a tell view. me that the view, the view is worth more in America? These yeah. Are, what? yeah, are you trying, are you trying to say... That's what that's what I'm that's what yeah, I'm yeah, trying yeah. to tell you. Like, okay, what's the purchasing power? But it's true. Like, if they if you can peg it in economics, but economics has always had this one-sided view, um, especially when you look at Africans and the promotion of products that we consume. Most of the products we consume are fast-moving consumer goods, um, which is yeah. Most of the products we consume are fast-moving consumer goods. So the value of a view for a fast-moving consumer good company, like let's say beverage company, water company, food company. It might still, it might even be more than the, because the, bread, hi, let me not get into the figures, but like it might actually be more. Yeah. So that's something that I, I just find, you know, it's reflective that, since you're talking you know, about like the, it, it's just a bit funny. Yeah, that, it's just yeah. funny. Mm. It's just you a bit know, funny. That, yeah, mm. we, we can tell mm. um, David yeah. Dobrik. Mm, ah, you, know, you know, there's a little yeah. discount Yeah. And, uh, why isn't mm. uh, you know like support us youtubers from africa yeah. you know it's uh, 
I hear that. Important. I hear that. Yeah, we do. Uh, You've we talked are, about something. Yeah, we're two billion. So key, branding, we're, and this is something yeah. me and my sister, at least once every three months, we have a rant about. We have a rant about branding and PR, because I don't think yeah. we've realised how essential PR is in Africa. Like, because here's the thing: the reason you have a diaspora is because of PR. You don't know what the country's like until you get there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And you find that that's yeah. why on a, yeah. again, geopolitical, if you're not branding yourself properly, then when you're now in those summits, in when you're negotiating trade deals, the perception of the person you're doing a deal with is already a certain way. Because if we've allowed people in, yeah. to just come to Africa and brand us and send any image out that they want, right? So I feel like that's another, yeah. ma- I don't want to, this isn't, we're, we're, we're here now but I don't want to go into it too much no, but go. like yeah, yeah we're doing yeah, it we're doing but here's it. the thing if we look at somewhere like Dubai right your immediate thought of Dubai is big skyscrapers luxury Louis Vuitton luxury you know uh, Hermes all this sort of stuff so, uh, all this stuff but if you think about Africa the first thing people think is dust kids and a safari maybe that's it <laughs> that's it that's the first thing you think about because we've yeah. allowed people like yeah. when you have a house you don't like allow somebody to come in and look at your most dirty room and take pictures. You say, no, please go to the lounge. We've cleaned the lounge. Please take photos of the lounge. Please go to, go to the ensuite. You know, you don't say come to the garage and start taking pictures of where our mess is. But I feel like we've allowed people to do that for so don't long you know. and we don't realise how much damage that yeah. does on a global scale because then you find all these problems. Yeah. We've already had the struggle of history and now, like you said, we sort of compound that with now how we react in terms of portraying ourselves. Um, there's a quote that I think a lot of Nigerians yeah. say is never, what, Becky, is it never look like your problems. And I think that's something that like we've done a lot yeah. of the time. If we've got issues, we're like, oh, guys, we've got issues, help. Like we've just sort of sort of thrown our hands up. And even when it comes to um, things like respecting our own resource and stuff, that's why we find that we can, you know, have trade deals that don't benefit us in terms of just resource because we're not valuing ourselves the same way other people do. Because if we actually stop and look at but what do you bring to the table on a global scale... I, could you be self-sufficient, right? A lot of the time, Africa probably could if all of these trade and things, yeah. if resource and everything was distributed fairly and these trade deals and this colonization, all this history wasn't a part of it. If we're just saying, okay, everyone, go back to your country and good luck. If everyone had did that, who would thrive? You'll be, yeah, you, you'll be surprised. Yeah, you, you, you ask yourself. Yeah, that's the good question. Mm. That's a very good question. I've seen my guy, uh, Ludacris, has, is now a citizen of Gabon. Uh, I'm sure he can shoot fast, <laughs> fast, fast, fast and furious ten yeah. or twelve uh, in Gabon and, uh, and 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 show us Africans, you know, how much value are black and African people really giving to the world, and how much value are we getting Honestly. back? You know, and you know, m- most of these economies, um, uh, most of these economies, what I'm finding really, really interesting um, when I sit down and think about it. The contribution that historically black and African people have had is so immense. Mm. And everyone is trying to figure out how to integrate them into their culture without that necessarily being fiction. But Africans are so talented, so gifted in the things that they do, that they've carved niches and communities out of themselves. Mm-hmm. And like, this is why I usually tell you, like for me, my inspiration will forever remain. Um, not, you know, as an African, of course, who understands his heritage, but I, I, I stay inspired by Africans all over the world because they are able to create value in different and diverse ways. Mm. Um, 
just recently, I think there was a Kenyan who was in Forbes Europe, uh, Melanin Capital, the founder. His name is Minjire. He's, uh, like, he's gone to Europe. He's built a business that is getting European recognition. And now he's back. And like, you know, you sit down and you ask yourself, like, this is an African, educated in African schools, has eaten African food, has lived an African life, and he has gone and had impact. Are you really telling me that um, the expatriates from Africa don't deserve a hardship allowance like you guys? In fact, we need the hardship allowance. Yeah. There's because more hardship. From what me I'm seeing with George, there's more there's hardship. Because me I'm seeing George Floyd, mm. I'm seeing these things, and even me I'm like, do I really, do I really as an African want to risk my neck yeah. um, by going to these countries? Pay us hardship allowance. Yeah. Right? The sun here, the sun here is very We miss our vitamin deficiency that happens. <laughs> We need an allowance to yeah. be able to eat the best foods that can give us those vitamins that we're losing here. Yeah. We need to be able to shop organic. That's more expensive, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very hard. It's but yeah, shop organic. Hey, I, how much is an avocado? How much is an it's, avocado? In, there's a lot of import. There's a lot of taxation. It gets very high, Oscar. Let me put it that way. It gets... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, that's, you deserve yeah. a hardship allowance. Whereas in Kenya, it's just the cost give of petrol. Give my African friends a hardship allowance. It. It's just the cost of petrol. Yeah, uh, here... here here, our avocados are literally falling from the trees. <laughs> it's hard to pick them, as you can imagine. <laughs> and make avocado toast. It's very it's tough um, yeah. to pick the... Yeah, it's very mm. rough to pick the avocado toast that I'm seeing the expatriates getting hardship allowances. Yeah. So give our Kenyans hardship allowances because they have to pay in your shops yeah. for the food they'd be getting in their mother's home for free. We have yams. Have you ever tasted yams? Um, the, have you ever had a taste of a yam? Fresh from the ground. Arrows. Yeah. Have you ever had yeah. it? Come on. No, I, it's I rough. know. Google. Yeah. Google this. Yeah. Guys, when you come to. It's rough. Yeah. They are... <laughs> it's rough in Kent. <laughs> but you, yeah, even when you do get them over here, there's just. It's just not the same. It's not the same. Um, the last. Yeah, yeah, there's two the points. Because I think we're, we're wrapping now, but there's, there's two points I just want people to leave with. Maybe two terminology we should change, right? Is. Um, when we're talking about, and this comes back down to the PR, it comes back down to the, 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 the respect we have for ourselves when addressing ourselves, is I just want everyone, when we're talking about diaspora, to stop using the word immigrant. Because anyone that has left your country to work elsewhere, regardless of the industry, regardless of how much money you're making, is an expatriate. When somebody leaves a country and they're not supposed to be there, that's an immigrant. But you'll find that everyone says immigrant straight away just because you're black but if a white person comes there an expat so let's change those terminologies ah. because if you're working legally we're also expat yeah we're expat if you're working legally yeah, you're an expat even that man that's working in the toilet you're not you're an, an expat bro you're an expat there's obviously other yeah. things that needs to uh change to, to help but like maybe let's start ch changing with the terminology um the other thing i want to just say on behalf yeah. of like other um sort of diaspora um is that a lot of the time when we do come back to Kenya, what I'd ask for, let me speak for myself, what I'd ask for is to still be treated like I am a Kenyan. Because a lot of time I feel like I'm not. And it's, we already have been abroad and we've got a lack of identity there. When somebody's come home, they're trying to come to exactly that home. So rather than uh, ostracizing and assuming privilege, let's maybe embrace and then it will encourage more, right? Because I've personally found it a lot of the time, right? You, you, you get called mzungu, you get called these things, and 
as much as it can be jokes and things like that, it's actually very difficult for somebody that's sort of come back, you know, they've already been the black person out there and you come back and you're now the white person in your... It's, 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 it's rough. It can be seriously, seriously rough sometimes. So that's what I would... Um, that's one thing I'd want to sort of uh, leave, leave, leave guys thinking about. Basically, from my perspective as an African, it's, I think the world needs to stop perceiving Africa as this place where, uh, you know, we think we're inferior. Um, if you ever met me in person, you will be surprised at how wrong <laughs> that, perspe that perspective is. And Africans are now coming up with pride and are able to lift themselves with pride. And for those Africans who are in diaspora, um, we are very happy to see Africans forming communities, Kenyans forming communities abroad. There's a lot of Kenyan communities abroad. We appreciate you. We love you. Um, and uh, continue to lift our brand up high. And bringing um, the bacon back home makes a huge difference for our economy. So thank you so much to all those guys who dedicate themselves to um, creating a life for themselves abroad despite of the difficulties. I think it's good for them to be recognized in this moment as Africans who are raising the banner up high, especially if they're doing it in legitimate means, through legitimate business and in legitimate means. Um, I'm, I'm very, very cognizant of the fact that it's not easy out there. So yeah, I think they deserve that part on the back and that respect um, as Africans who are abroad. Yeah. And let's love each let's other. Let's just love let's each other. Come love back each home. Other. Guys, also come back home. Let's come back to the motherland. Let's just love. Let's eat. Let's just eat the best food. Let's live in the sunshine. Let's grow our economy. Let's try take a leaf out of Ghana's book because yeah. the trajectory they're on, we need more of that. So guys, come home. And when we come home, love us like your come. own. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, amazing, bro. I, think that's I hope you guys it. have that's enjoyed this. Let us know if you've liked this. Uh, if you've liked this episode. If you're in diaspora, you want to have this conversation more. Let us know as well. We'll be very uh, interested yeah. in doing that with you too. Um, see you the next week, Oscar, for another one of these uh, these episodes. I can't wait. I hope you can't too, man. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait. Another one. Another, another one. one. Another one. And, and shout out to my diaspora people. Shout out. Shout, shout out. out. Shout, shout out to our you. people. Another banger. <laughs> another <Aye>. banger. <laughs> see you later, guys. All right, bye. Cheers. <laughs>